Hello and welcome to the uh, first podcast in the series uh, for Change Ignition. Uh, I'm Charlotte Moore and I'm Ro Gorel. And on uh, our first podcast, we have uh, Jason Little, uh, author of Lean Change Management um, and somebody who um, we really respect and have been working with for a while now. Um, we, I first met Jason, um, actually came in contact with him about two years ago, just as he launched his uh, book, Lean Change Management. Um, and I bought the book and also uh, had a Skype conversation with Jason and um, really loved the work that Jason was doing. Uh, then brought Jason over to Australia in June 2015 mm -hmm. for uh, the first uh, Australian Lean Change Management workshop which uh, we ran in conjunction with the Change Management Institute. Um, and it was from there, uh, really started to uh, work with Jason. Uh, so welcome, Jason. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's great. So Jason's in Toronto, um, and Ro and I are in Perth, uh, Western Australia. So uh, we've, we've got a great weather day today, but I'm sure, Jason, you're heading into winter. Yes, it was really warm yesterday, and then today it just seemed to drop 10 degrees. So it's, um, but uh, I just came back from Finland where it's about 10 degrees colder, actually close to 20 degrees colder than it was here. So it's kind of nice to be back in the warm weather <laughs> <laughs> by comparison. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so um, today what we'd like to do is, as it's the... Uh, just past the second anniversary of the release of the Lean Change Management book, um, mm -hmm. to use one of the tools that we use um, in our in the Lean Change Management workshop, um, uh, using a retrospective approach to mm -hmm. looking back as to what's actually happened over the last two years for you, Jason, uh, since mm -hmm. uh, launching the book and obviously holding the first workshops, um, and just to understand a bit more about you know what you've uh, learned over those last two years. Um, what sort of things, what you've actually really liked, and um, in terms of going forward as well, what, what different actions you, you will be taking as a result of all the, the learnings you've had over the last two years. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the most important thing that I learned is how similar um, the desire is for people who are coming from either the on the Agile community side and people that are coming from the change in the OD side, that they're after the same thing. They just kind of go about it in two different ways. So over the last couple of years, it's been pretty interesting to connect with both audiences. So going to agile conferences or going to change conferences and just hearing the types of conversations that are, that are happening and hearing the same patterns of same, the same problems pretty much. Um, so it's, I've learned that there's um, a lot in the traditional change world that agile folks are starting to kind of latch onto. Um, but at the same time, people that are coming from more of the OD and the change spaces are kind of reaching over into the Agile bucket without realizing that everything in Agile, or most of it anyway, is based on ideas, models, coaching, psychology uh, from 30, 40 years ago that a lot of what change management is based on too. So it's, it's neat just to see how uh, similar the, um, the communities are. And I think it's pretty cool that, that there's a, a lot more cross-pollinating of ideas, especially the, uh, with the conferences that I go to. I was at the uh, a regional one here in Canada, or I guess the national one a couple of weeks ago, and one of the hosts said, 
when he was at the uh, the global version of that conference, he he wanted to do a conversation around agile and and how to bring these techniques into change management. And he said four people showed up. Uh, this is the global conference where you know there's two thousand uh, people showing up, and this this national one in Canada was about two hundred, and I think we had fifty. Mm-hmm. So there's there's more people that are that are interested in trying to figure out how to how to bring these ideas in. So that's been a pretty good. Um, uh, thing that I've learned anyway over the last couple of years. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, um, sorry, we will do this from time yes. to time. We, we think that's <laughs> one. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we're noticing, Jason, is that suddenly when we're getting <clears throat> coaches on the Lean Change workshops, they are very, very appreciative of um, what their OD colleagues actually bring to the piece of the, the change management piece. And yet we're also hearing from change managers that they're wondering how they actually add value in agile projects. So there's a sort of a disconnect in, in, you know, a lack of communication that they can both help each other. What's your take on that? There's um, two, I guess, two main uh, branches when I, when I think about that. And one is just the, the, the typical, IT change or operational readiness or business readiness change. For me, that's the easy part is change person, like get out of your desk and walk over and sit with the agile team. That's it. And then do whatever you need to do. You're right there. You're with the team. You don't need to be an embedded team member. You don't need to be a hundred percent allocated to that project. If you're in a big company and that's, that's the way things work. Um, But when you're sitting near the team or with the team, you hear what's going on, and that is going to affect how you can bring that information back to um, any of the operation groups or um, any of the business stakeholders. Um, I, I spend most of my time in large organizations, so you know, ideally with, with smaller companies, you can have everybody in the same space at the same time. So you can have the stakeholders, you can have the team, you can have... Uh, you know, you have access to end users directly. You have access to people doing support or the operations people. But in big companies, you know, if there's a thousand people working in a program, um, if you can at least bring the the change managers and have them be part of the team or even sit there, it's a lot easier because then they can watch how the process works and then they really understand it because it's pretty easy to go to look at the the values and principles and Scrum and some of these agile processes and and they are brain dead easy. They're very, very simple models. They're designed to provoke the interaction. Um, and we tend to overcomplicate it sometimes. You know, we need, an, we need an agile change framework on top of what this agile team is doing when you don't really need it. You just walk over there and sit there, watch how the process works because then you can communicate that out. So that, that's the easy part in the one branch. The other branch is more of the transformational stuff. So when you get into you know digital transformation, I know it's 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 exploding in Australia as well, and it, it is here in Toronto too. All the banks are going through the same thing, and the insurance companies, um, and that is bringing in more reorganization, which is something that not a lot of agile folks um, have done or know. They just they know the values and principles, they know the practices, the processes, the mindset, all that stuff, but they're kind of missing the. Um, you know, you have a very tall hierarchy in a certain business unit that you want to make digital, and they don't realize the, the, the blast radius or the implications of how much needs to change. If you look at Galbraith and 7S and some of these other organizational design models that talk about if you change your strategy, it's going to affect everything else in your organization. 
So bringing agile elements in there is moving more towards, you know, a change facilitator stance. So getting the people who own that system and by system, it could be the program, the project, whatever they're trying to transform uh, and facilitate through it instead of trying to figure out how to build some type of change framework and, and force change on people and things like that. So there's two kind of avenues and uh, you know, I think the IT one is is a lot easier because it, it can be that simple, but um, I, I know it's hard. I've asked that question in, in some of the workshops too, when I, I just, I don't get why it needs to be that hard. Just go sit with the team. It's, it's always the hierarchy that's in the way. It's usually the change people. Um, if it's IT change management and systems change, yes, they, they will sit under the IT hierarchy. But if it's business readiness and operational change, they usually sit on the business side. So that's two different stacks of hierarchy. And it's hard for them to kind of jump over the fence and, and just do that. Because the team see it as being invaded sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, why do I have this person here sitting in here watching everything I do and documenting stuff when it's not really what, uh, what they're after? Yeah. 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 So, so that's an interesting sort of conundrum. And it's, it's, again, it's one that we're also experiencing that sort of the systemic change as mm-hmm. the sort of what I call transactional change. So that kind of leads to a question around, you know, is there a certain type of change practitioner, for want of a better word, that will thrive in that type of scenario where that uncertainty, that you're actually working with the system to help the system change. Does that mean that we have to move away from the sort of the methodology, sort of almost waterfall change approach to a very different approach in transformational change? I think so, yes. I I think it's a matter of options. So I like to provide uh, options to to organizations. So one, one team I'm working with now, they have 34 downstream groups that are going to be consuming the software. So... Uh, it, in this organization, probably a, a bigger plan is what they're going to need and a rollout strategy and all this stuff. Um, but we have had the opportunity to pull some of those groups into the biweekly end of sprint demos to, to show them, here's some stuff that we've done and to get feedback from them. And um, it's, it's a hard process to go through because it's so unusual and it's, it's things like, you know, the, the ops people, they're busy. Right? They, they can't be here every two weeks. Um, they've got stuff to do. We can't waste their time. Um, but I find more often than not, as soon as you can crack through that door, uh, they actually like it much more because they get to see stuff and they get to start to relate it to their day jobs. Because a lot of, you know, if you look at any cha- change readiness approach or, um, you know, any training program, most of the things I've worked on, they're, they're not going to go to those things anyway. They're going to wait until the, the, the system is live in the wild and they're going to log in and then they're going to start swearing at the team for not doing it right. <laughs> so you know that's going to happen anyway. Yeah. And the, instead of trying to, to, to stay kind of in that fixed mindset and build the awesome plan, it's, yeah, we, it's, the change managers need to um, think a bit different mm-hmm. uh, and realize that that always happens so we can either keep doing the same thing and then blame people for not going to the training or blaming them for not being aware enough or having enough desire or whatever it is. Um, but they just, they, they, they need to be more supportive and more reactive, but that sounds bad. We can't be reactive. We have to be proactive. Well, you know, you, you can't mandate and force 
um, that type of stuff. Even if it's a, a system implementation where they're going to have to use it, there's still a different, more agile pull-based approach you can take to help people understand that as opposed to just uh, the old way of, of planning it out with surveys and, 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 and push-based approaches, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Jason, yeah. in your experience, where is it that um, that's worked well? What examples, what, make, what, what uh, ingredients uh, are necessary to enable that sort of switch from maybe that more methodology approach and that fixed approach what have you found that works really well where you may have gone in and that that's been the initial um, stance, but um, what's been the, the catalyst, I suppose, or the, the, the real um, ignition for that ability to, to move to that different way of working? I think what I've seen the most is, is um, trying to, uh, you know, we'll say a lot of things like we have to get people to buy in and that's how we get them to change their minds. But for me, it's to try and understand what's in it for them in the first place. So if I've got stakeholders or people that I need to see a roadmap and your plan for whatever this is, um, figuring out a different way to satisfy their desire for certainty more than anything else. Um, you know, I was at a, a conference this weekend and, and part of the, the things I was talking about was uncertainty reduction theory, which is uh, Calabrese and Berger, I believe. I think it was in the, the 70s where they talked about strategies for reducing uncertainty. A lot of the times we will say things like people have to embrace uncertainty and they have to develop the growth mindset. But I, I'm sure you know people that like to, uh, you know, they plan a vacation three years in advance and right down to the second where they're going to be at the hotel and stuff. And that's pretty scary for some people. So I think instead of just blindly embracing it, let's figure out how to reduce it. So he talks about, um, you know, in their theory, there's, there's a few strategies to do it. And one of, there's, there's passive, active, and interactive and um, the, the basic idea is, you know, I, I'm sure you've worked somewhere where you've had a new manager that joined at some point in your career, right? You've either had a manager left and some, someone new came in. And um, nowadays when that happens, a passive way to deal with that uncertainty is Google the person. <laughs> Look at their LinkedIn profile. <laughs> so, you know, um, sometimes I'll call it the stalking method, but um, if, it's, uh, if, if you can say, no, no, it's part of uncertainty reduction theory, and it was, well, <laughs> turn it into a professional thing, but it's kind of just uh, online stalking. And you follow their Twitter account, and you look, at, look them up on Facebook, and you, and you start to um, get, collect some information that helps you deal with that uncertainty. And then the, uh, the more active way to do it is to uh, find people, you know, talk to people on your team. Mm -hmm. What do you think? You know, we hear we're going to get this new manager. Do you know who he is or who she is and what their background is? And, um, and then the interactive way is to uh, connect with them on LinkedIn and send them a message and say, hey, we heard you're going to be our new manager. Do you want to go up for coffee someday? But it's all about um, our brain's desire for certainty, and there's ways that we can, we can reduce it instead of just blindly kind of throwing the hands in the air and go, well, let's just do it the Agile way because Agile means we can do whatever we want. <laughs> um, it, it, there are some, some, some strategies for, for dealing with that. Yeah. yeah. So in the last two years and since you've been on this journey and you're continuing with that, what, what's been the most surprising thing that, that you've noticed um, I think the, uh, just the reception to the, the underlying idea that the conversations are what moves change forward. Mm -hmm. 
you know, there's there, a lot of the stuff in the book and some of the stuff on the website, the, the canvases and, you know, the blast radius and some of the tools and techniques, they're all, I guess, designed to provoke a conversation. They're not designed like, like typical um, change tools, which is here's a survey to, to, to send out. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to harvest the information, then I'm going to make sense of it, then I'm going to formulate the plan and I'm going to push it out. It's more, you know, get, get the parties in the room who have to deal with it and sort of get out of their way and let them have the conversation. And um, some, some coaches and change people are really good at not needing a distraction technique for it. I like to use those things as a uh, number one, it kind of sells some credibility um, that it's a thing now. So you can now use this thing. And I think what I've seen is most of the people who've gone through the workshops, they, they realize that it can be that simple. It can be that uh, there's ways that we can provoke these conversations, um, especially when I get more, I guess, you know, uh, traditional people who don't have an agile background in the courses. So that's, it, it used to scare me because I do the pre-workshop survey. And I get people that have really deep knowledge in the change side and none on the agile side. And the, the way they answer some of the questions, you know, kind of gets me to, into the, um, um, the, the thought process of they're not going to have a good experience in this course because it sounds like they need the, the step-by-step and the plan and things like this. So it kind of stresses me out a bit. But the learning has been, it's always they most of the time they know a lot of this stuff underneath, but they get kind of forced into working a certain way because of how organizations run, right? They get measured on how many changes they push through and how many email newsletters they send out and um, all these types of things. So they kind of get coerced into working a certain way. So learning, um, um, it, it's been really interesting just to see the, the receptiveness to it, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so on that note, really, of the receptiveness, how have you found that, that in the last two years, the, um, the network and the movement around lean change and the, you know, you've obviously, there's been workshops worldwide um, mm-hmm. and the information that, that you're um, gathering from that, what, what is it um, specifically that, has it met those, the original expectations or didn't you have any particular expectations or, or goals or outcomes that you were, you were looking to, to uh, get from actually releasing the book and starting the workshops? Oh, it, it's definitely more than, than what I would have thought for sure. I mean, the, the whole idea started way back in, in 2009 when I kind of, uh, I was in a really large organization and ran into a big um, organizational change wall. And uh, there were, like back, back then it was, I had the agile values and principles and I had, you know, I had taken my scrum certification and I'd been involved in the community. And then I ran into this problem that was more um, in the organizational layer. And the only tool I had at the time was to say, well, there's only four values, you know, which ones should we decide to not follow? And um, I was amazed I didn't get fired because I would have fired me. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, imagine, imagine walking into a CFO's office and saying, Hey, just be more agile with your balance sheet. It, it's, you're not going to get very <laughs> So, so I thought, I thought there's got to be more out there. And I wrote a blog post and it eventually led to, um, um, a video tutorial on agile transformation, which I started looking more at the, some of the OD and the change work. And then the, the, in the, the lean change management book, the company, um, uh, that is in the book was the story that 
tied all the ideas together. So it was a bunch of ideas waiting for a story to, to, to wrap around it. And, and that was it. It was chapter by chapter. And then um, uh, I joined the, the Happy Melly publishing experiment and we did a Kickstarter campaign. Um, well, Indiegogo we used. And uh, one person in Germany, Torsten Scheller, had uh, um, bought the Godfather package, which was just an experiment. So the, the producer of the book and I just put the experiment out there and said, well, let's do a bunch of levels. So let's see who's going who's gonna to fund and back the project. And if they bid this much, then they get a book. And if they bid this tier, then they can get a signed one. And then let's do this Godfather thing. And whoever does the Godfather, we're only going to sell one, but they have an opportunity to arrange a training course based on the book. And I went, oh, okay, sure. That's it. So there was no intent. And then somebody actually bought it and he emailed me, uh, Torsten emailed me and said, Hey, uh, I'm going to set up two in Munich. Do you want to come over and do it? I'm like, all right. So I guess I have to build a workshop now. <laughs> so it was, it, part of it was just not being smart enough to think too far ahead. And uh, <laughs> the, the other part was just the, the whole idea behind experiments was, well, let's try it out and see what happens. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's really kind of how it went. So I didn't have any expectations, mm-hmm. any other than, uh, you know, I thought it would be cool to write a book one day and see what that's like. And then I'll go be a tester on a team again and see what that's like and <laughs> try something else. But yeah, it worked out pretty well. I think. Yeah. So I guess for us, and I'm talking here, I'm half my partner as well, um, <laughs> that experimentation mindset fits really well with our philosophy around the growth mindset. So that mm-hmm. idea that there is no such thing as failure, it's all about validated learning. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of, when, well, certainly when I came on the workshop last year, that was what I really liked. It was that freedom to actually do stuff and not be too tied in to a fixed outcome. So coaching, we obviously we talk about having an outcome, but it's also about reviewing and understanding, okay, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what made it work, what made it not work, what can I do differently? So that's kind of what I, I really, really loved about what we did last year on the workshop. So is there something in there about how we manage change in organizations in inverted commas that maybe we need to let go of that fixed mindset? Um, I think maybe not so much let go, but try and help people who um, need more certainty than others. Because um, I, I, I like to argue the point that if we all had the growth mindset, uh, it would probably be awesome to work in, but we, we'd be out of business in a week. So, so somebody's got to be worrying about how to keep the lights on in the place and to deal yeah, with the yeah. balance sheet and all the good stuff that... that um, project managers do and, and uh, financial people do and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's actually, it's finding a good mix because mm-hmm. what I really liked about that, uh, the, the workshop in Perth uh, was that it was a good mix of people. Mm-hmm. So there was diverse backgrounds, I think, which really made the conversations yeah. um, work, work very well. Like you guys both brought like Ro, obviously the coaching part that you brought and shared a lot of your experience and change um, if that wouldn't have been there, then I think the, the conversations would have been different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were different perspectives. And um, I, I love working with people that are detailed planners because I'm not a, a strong detailed planner. And it can be frustrating at times, but it forces me to think about things, yeah. um, which, uh, which is good. So 
Um, plus the other thing I, you know, I get the mindset stuff, but sometimes I wonder if, you know, people that value having a fixed mindset for whatever reason feel insulted by it. Right. Cause you see, you see it everywhere on LinkedIn and, you know, we've got to develop this mindset and we have to change people's behaviors and mindsets and stuff like this. Well, who says we're right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who, who says the growth mindset is the right mindset? Um, and I'm sure there is some, uh, psychology studies behind both of those. Uh, um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's always the conversation. If, if the, if the group has more of a fixed mindset that I'm working with and they need more of a big plan, then let's make a big plan. And then if it doesn't work, let's figure out how to, to, to do it differently next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Jason, just one of the, the questions that's been floating around in my head as well is this. So, um, knowing your, your, your background that you came from, from that agile, um, side of things, why did you decide to call the book lean change and not agile change? Mm-hmm. Um, putting lean in front of change management would, uh, the idea was that I knew the audience was not going to be an agile audience. I knew it was going to be people that are coming more from, uh, an OD or a change perspective. And then once they see the lean word in front of change management, it's, Oh, what is that? Uh, because I find more in, in the OD in the, in the change space, uh, lean at the time was more prevalent. You know, so, um, and then ad- mixing in the agile elements later. Um, yeah, I, I debated, I talked with the producer back and forth about what to, uh, what to call it, but eventually it just turned into be, um, to put the word lean in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the question that's just popped into my head then, so if you called it lean for that reason, where does your heart really lie? Is it more agile or lean? Um, it's hard to say, uh, with how popular agile is becoming in outside of software now, um, I think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on, on, uh, the agile word as opposed to the lean word. Uh, cause I think more people are getting exposed to agile projects in their organizations or agile transformations. So the, so the word is front and center. Um, and from, for me, it's not, um, it's elements of both because even in, in agile software, there's a lot of, uh, uh lean techniques that are, that are brought in yeah. in some of the, the agile methods out there. So I kind of see them as interchangeable. It's not a big deal for me, but there's some purists that, you know, lean is one thing and agile is another thing and you cannot mix them together. <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> we make, we make the rules. We don't have to follow something because, uh, somebody, you know, used one word as opposed to the other. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that, that's happening, and we're seeing it very much in Australia, is obviously that move to agile, but also the agility rather than agile software development per se, but they're using agile software development as a way to bring about disruption in, in their organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from, from your experience, um, that you've seen not just necessarily in Canada, but from other, some of the other global facilitators, where do you see that, um, how's that, how's that working? Have you seen examples of where using, um, you know, scaling agile and moving agile outside of just software? Um, how, how have you seen that work, um, really well so far or, or what, what's your sort of take on that? Um, 
I think it's, it's becoming more, more popular. Uh, I've worked with marketing teams. I've worked with change teams, HR teams that are all applying certain types of, um, of agile practices, I guess, uh, and change teams that are, that are trying to move towards, you know, incremental delivery of transformation programs. Um, and they're all kind of following a, the, the same, I guess, iterative or scrum-like pattern, which is uh, very much based on um, something that I really like, which is the mastering the Rockefeller habits or the 12-week year. And those are basically ideas that don't come from Agile. They come from the business world about just good ways to run your business, right? Take, take an annual goal, break it down into quarterly goals, break it down into monthly goals, and then decide the number, the top three things we need to do this week to get towards that monthly goal and follow that and retrospect. And that's very much what Scrum is. So I think the, the, the organizations I've seen that do it well, um, they do well because we start with the values and the principles of Agile and get that out of the way completely because it can be, it would be interesting to hear from your perspective, how overwhelming was it to, to, to you know, see all this Agile stuff on LinkedIn and get introduced to the different methods and processes? Was it fairly, oh my God, look how big this thing is and look how many terms and words and methods there are out there. Was it kind of overwhelming for you guys? No, I don't think so. For me, I think um, just just coming back to the values and the principles, just keep coming back to that. And regardless of whether it's Scrum or XP or whatever way that people want to approach it, um, mm-hmm. the, there is a lot of simplicity there. And, and I think that's where obviously the visualization and also the, you know, the use of the tools to generate conversation is really where the power is. So when I first looked at uh, the whole Agile, well, it just made it for me, it made sense um, mm-hmm. and, and was simple, which, um, you know, I think we, we are, organizations tend to overcomplicate things. Um, and this, if you keep it simple, um, even in a world of complexity, you have to, because otherwise we get overwhelmed. You know, our brains mm-hmm. just can't take all of that information in and process it. And so we end up often, you know, going from one thing to the other and not actually achieving what we really want to, to achieve. And, um, so, yeah, no, I, I didn't find it overwhelming for me. It, it, it just clicked. Mm. Okay. So, for me, it was um, <laughs> being a bit of a cynic. Um, I just thought, you know, well, first of all, I really love the Agile uh, manifesto and the principles. They really speak to me, having spent many years in an IT organization or organizations. But what really struck me was there's nothing new under the sun. You know, a lot of the stuff that all the the tools, the techniques, the processes that Agile uses, and there are many of them, um, they are stuff that has been adapted from stuff that's been around for donkey's years. Um, And I guess the thing for me is that it it, it breeds sort of... um, sort of people who become evangelists for a certain way of doing things which you see happen with any kind of thing and one of the guys who was on our work very first workshop Jess um, he said something which is, it always stays in my mind go back to the source go back to the manifesto and the principles that's all you really need to know and then anything that you want to do is then just a way a means of actually achieving that manifesto and those principles so I think people I agree they overcomplicate it and in that overcomplication they actually make it worse for themselves go back to the source what does the manifesto say what do the principles say that's kind of all you need to know everything else yeah. is passing on the cake yeah yeah 
So I find the, um, well, the marketing group that I worked with for, for about a year, um, they had sent a few people on uh, Scrum Master training because IT was going Agile, so they thought, well, let's go send those people there because a lot of people, they associate Agile with Scrum, even though Scrum is one of 50 different types of ideas and methods and frameworks and tools and stuff. And uh, they came back and said, no, it was a waste of time because it's all software-based. Um, so they, they didn't get a lot out of it. Like we don't estimate features and we don't use velocity and story points and we're not building stuff. And um, so we did our own. Um, so I just designed a one-day kind of Agile Explained class and started off with two exercises around the values and principles, which basically just helps them relate um, their most successful projects with uh, attributes of the manifesto that they used before. Mm -hmm. And they realized that, oh, we already kind of work this way. Mm -hmm. um, so mechanically, what would it look like if we did it? So then it's get into, well, here's the, what the Scrum framework is, and here's what Kanban is, and here's what some of the, the basic um, applied elements of the values and principles are. So what would we do? Well, okay, well, let's work in week-long sprints. And we'll work on one epic a week, and then we'll do a stand-up every day and a demo and a retrospective at the end of the week. And that's it. You know, they don't have to fully transform. They don't have to reorg their organization. They can just work in an iterative way where, you know, in software, there's a big difference between working iteratively and working in an agile way. Um, and the differences are, you know, agile, there's no titles, uh, there's no responsibilities. It's a team committing to a goal and getting that done. And iterative is more, we're just kind of, you know, doing uh, what's called scrum or fall, which is we're doing just waterfall inside of these one week or two week long sprints. Yeah. Um, but I find outside of software, if, if you start with the values and the principles, it's a lot easier to digest, like you said, and then people go, oh, okay. So, you know, if we just do that and we put some stickies on the wall and meet in front of it every day, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. That's it. It, it. You can just start that simple and then start to change and add things as you move along. Yeah. And I guess in that way, you, you're creating movement in the organization because then that starts the conversation, doesn't it? Because people go, oh, what is it you're doing there? And then they can tell their story and they mm -hmm. go, oh, that's interesting. What if we did? And, and so in that way, it kind of develops its own ecology. You, you get this sort of ecosystem just developing on its own rather than somebody coming in and saying, okay, we're now going to go agile, you know, the CEO standing up and saying, we're now an agile organization without really understanding what that means. Um, because yeah. the consequences to saying we're an agile organization. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. As soon as the person who's pushing stops pushing, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So there needs to be a, a, a what's in it for, um, sometimes you need it to get over the hump. Like one organization, large organization I worked in, nobody was going to do anything unless the bosses told them. That's just the culture they had built. It was very much top down, uh, very old school. Um, so we needed to put a little more horsepower in to say, well, here's how the process works and we're going to try it. Mm -hmm. So just go do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, over a period of time, a few people started seeing the benefits. A lot of people thought it was just dumb, but at least they tried it out and they got through the grown zone and then if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, it wasn't the right thing. Yeah. 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 So, so conscious of, of time, Jason, um, mm -hmm. 
so you know we had a bit of a reflection on the looking back um some of the things that you've liked some of the things you've learned um so what sort of actions or how do you see the the next sort of 12 months i know you, you know you said before you it was just another experiment so what what's the next experiment in terms of that you're looking at in the next you know 12 months to, to two years so if we were talking again in two years time you know, what, what, what would that look like for you I, I, the two main things, one is the network. So it's the, it's the global network that, um, um, there's, there's not a lot of information out there right now, but I know you guys know a little bit more about it than, than the general public right now. So, but it's more about, um, I, I find that the, the network is going to help build a stronger, uh, global community about people who are using agile and lean approaches in any change Capacity. So whether it's IT change or transformational change, but getting away from some of these, you know, 20 year old step-by-step um, uh, linear practices, but making the network more about uh, helping people get unstuck. So I find a lot of conferences I go to, it, you just, you get your, your beliefs reinforced. So if I go, if I'm a, you know, an agile practitioner, I go to an agile conference and I've got some agile thought leaders on stage or, uh, you know, authors and, and, and uh, world renowned consultants, they're saying stuff I already believe. And I go there and I'm like, yes, I'm right. And everyone else is crazy because they don't believe this, but it's, it's not helping me go back to my organization where everybody is opposite to that. And, and I've got to figure out how to, you know, uh, not change them, but understand what's important to them. So this network is going to be much more about collaboration it's going to be run by you know the uh, myself and the facilitators where we can kind of help people figure out um how to uh how to help take the organizations where they want to go so it's not going to be tied to a method or a practice but just a lot of the stuff that we've gone through in the workshops and then that's going to lead into um one day um unstuck workshops so things where you know as much as I would like to go into a company and take their money for six months by being there every day, it's not really helpful. So how can we do things like quarterly get unstuck workshops? Mm -hmm. So come in for a day with the leadership team, go through this exercise and then say, you know, birdies go fly and we'll come back a week before the quarter is out. We'll do a retrospective and we'll do another intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, So just kind of, um, Interventions, I guess, are the, are the network and interventions because I think those are the things that help people get unstuck from the change. It's not so much the big linear plan, but it's every so often, maybe it's quarterly, depending on what type of transformational change it is, but something has to come in and, and shake the place up a bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so those are the two main things and, and then just um, growing more, uh, growing the network more. Fantastic. So, so obviously, as it, you know, in Australia, we've you know we've got quite a, a good network, and we've got a number of different facilitators. Um, mm. I just interesting, you know, for other people across the globe, where where are the, the other key areas that you're seeing, um, you know, the growth in terms of that networking facilitator uh, group? Uh, Germany has been been a, a, a strong audience. Um, South America is starting to emerge a little bit, but I would say it's. Uh, Australia definitely number one, and Europe probably a close, uh, eh, relatively close number two. Um, North America, not so much. There's pockets, but again, it's it's becoming more popular with some of the big change vendors mm-hmm. and associations. But it's coming from a stance of 
Um, let's create a closed door think tank of experts to create the ideal agile change process and then make a certification out of it and make a standard practice out of it and push it out. Um, which I don't think is the, it, it's a license to print money for sure. But, um, I don't think it's helping the community because uh, there's a lot of really bright people that, that is, that are involved in the, the North American communities, but they're not challenged to think about anything. They're, they wait for the professional association to tell them what they should learn and how they should learn it. And I want this, this network to be the opposite. So I would see kind of um, outside of North America, definitely taking the lead on growing it. And then at some point, people in North America will wake up. You know, we're really tied to our more traditional approaches and standards and things. And I think the rest of the world's a little more open-minded. Yeah. 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 So, so picking up on that self-directed learning then, what's mm -hmm. one thing that, you know, people can do listening to this podcast today or watching this podcast, what's one thing that they can do to help them either start their lean change journey or to continue their lean change journey? Mm. Um, I would say um, connect through the, the website. So go to leanchange.org and um, uh, get on the mailing list because it's, you know, virtual courses are going to be launching soon. So places where, you know, you guys can't travel or I can't travel for whatever reason, people, can, we can facilitate them remotely, yeah. um, which will, will help uh, grow the network. Plus, there's lots of stories up there. So it's not, uh, it's not just about the book and the ideas, but it's people who reach out and say, hey, I tried this thing and I didn't do it the way you do it. I changed these three things about it and here's how it worked. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's exactly the story that I want to tell. So I know Charlotte has a post up there from a story. Um, geez, that's, it's over a year, I think. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. I need to. I yeah. need to get some. Yeah, I definitely need to come back on that because I'm actually still working with that organisation. So, um, oh, cool. yeah. So, be interesting to see this next phase because uh, there's some more work coming from them. So, um, definitely, and and a couple of other organisations that I'm really going to have the opportunity to uh, to do some experiments with. So, um, yeah, I, th I think the last six months we've focused very much on travelling around Australia, and New Zealand with the workshops. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then, you know, going forward, we're still going to do that in 2017, but again, interspersed with some of that um, hands-on um, use of the, the tools um, and the, starting the conversations with organisations, because there's definitely yeah. um, an appetite now in, in Australia and New Zealand to do that. So for both Pro and I, that's really about um, continuing on that journey and um, really um, expanding that and taking, you know, the opportunities as they come along, which are definitely showing up in Australia now. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Cause I think the, the, the stories is really what makes it work. So just uh, being able to connect with so many people from all over the world and the people who've written uh, guest posts, I think I've had about seven people now that have, that have uh, written posts and it's, uh, I think that that's how our organizations make progress, right? They, they hear something another company tried and they think it worked. So they copy it. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing we do is change people and say, you can't copy it because it's the culture. You, you can't copy someone else's culture. You can, you can copy a practice they tried, but you can't replicate the success or anything. But that's what they're going to do anyway. They're going to read a case study and go, oh, I want to try that. So who's an expert in this? Oh, Biff? Well, here, we're going to hire Biff and you do what you did over there. Yeah. Of course, it's not going to work. Yeah. But they're going to learn something and then they're going to tweak it next time. 
Yes. So the, the, the stories is what's going to make it work. I had someone come through a workshop in Toronto who he said, uh, we, we didn't, um, with one client he worked with, they didn't use the word experiments because their leadership team didn't like it. Uh, when we experiment, things blow up. Yes. So they just called them change activities or stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. Which was interesting, but uh, they used canvases and they had a big visible wall and they, they tweaked it and made it work in their environment. And I think that's what the network and the stories are going to help people do. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, just to, to build a better workplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's enough tools, methods, knowledge, and, and all that stuff out there um, that uh, let's start to move away from talking about urgency and all this stuff and start to move towards purpose. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of the, the network and the stories are going to help people realize that there's, there's things that are more important than, you know, let's create urgency and force change through on people. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah. So final thought from you and Jason in terms of retrospective today. Hmm. What have you learned about yourself? Um, that's a good question. What have I learned about myself? Might have to edit some of this now. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're not live. <laughs> Uh, I think just, um, letting go of control more than anything else. Uh, cause I think I, I posted this a few times. I am a self-professed kind of control freak. So this going through this whole thought process of learning all these ideas and, and, uh, connecting with so many other people, uh, helped me not get so stressed out about trying to control change. Because early on, it was very much around, you know, why don't these idiots in this organization get it, which every change person goes through. You never say it out loud, but it's just you see the same patterns of the same problems over and over again. And when you hit it for the 30th time, you're just like, oh, for God's sake. (laughs) So for me, it's more helping. It's helped me let go of the outcome. Mm-hmm. which is coaching one-on-one, which of course I didn't know early on in my career. And then I would learn these things through, uh, through, through you guys and, and other people that have gone through the workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just learn, learn to, to let go and help them provide, uh, help them come up with options. Cause I find they know how to solve their own problems. They just need somebody to ask the right questions. Yeah. And then all the tools and the techniques and combining things together were just basically how to make a lot of uh, complex change models and frameworks and, and techniques accessible to, to, to people who aren't in the industry because, you know, they don't care about the, the cotters and the ad cars and the agiles and all this stuff. They want to know what's from them. So how to simplify. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, hopefully you will let us keep that in the edited version because I think that's a really powerful message for everybody to hear who works in change. Let go of control, let it go of outcome. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> so just yeah. our, our conversation and retrospective to a close end. First of all, we want to say a huge, huge thank you for sharing your thoughts today, Jason. We really appreciate that. And also from Charlotte and I to say a huge thank you for allowing us to be part of the network. Mm-hmm. Over the last six months, we've had a blast yeah. and we're really excited about what you're going to do with the network in the future. And hopefully we'll be back in two years to do another retrospective. So thanks very much for coming along today. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Yeah, th- yeah, thanks for setting this up. I appreciate it. Not a problem. <laughs>